you may not realize this, and it, this may not be something that hits you the way that it should at first, but I can guarantee you, I can promise you with everything that I am that John 15 and the message that we're gonna go through together today is exactly the message that Jesus' church needs to hear right here and right now during this season of history. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at a lot of the spiritual realities behind the physical realities that we're seeing play out all over the world. And there is a, 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 even a, a, a small child given a little bit of the information of what's going on. We know that the, the season we're in and the season that we're heading into is going to be a difficult one. It's not gonna be an easy one. That, that we're looking at potentially the, the end of age. We're looking at the, the, the potential, the, the rise of the Antichrist. At best, I think at best, we're looking at a world war. The season we're in is not gonna be an easy one. And I can promise you that right here, right now, whether you see it or not, or you grasp it or not yet, this is the message that the church of Jesus Christ needs right here and right now. This is the answer to how you will not only make it through whatever this season is and whatever season we head into, but this is the message that guarantees you will thrive in it if you will hear it, listen, and obey it. This is the message the church needs right here and right now. And I know that we're looking for it. I think that, that, that we're, we're hungry for answers. We're hungry uh, for the spiritual truth. We're hungry for something that tells us everything is gonna be okay. And what I'm here to tell you this morning is that everything will be okay, even if the world is in absolute chaos. Not because of what is going on or may happen in the world, it has nothing to do with what's on the exterior, what's on the outside of you, but I know that everything is gonna be more than okay because of who is inside of you, the spirit of Jesus Christ. That's something you can clap for. That's something. If you come from a church that doesn't like to celebrate, we like to celebrate. That's something you can get excited about. And so Jesus picked this, the timing. Sometimes we have to really understand the timing at which Jesus chose to teach his disciples whatever it was that he chose to teach them. Because he, he, he taught them certain things and as they progressively spent more time with him, he opened up the door more and more and more. In fact, there were times he even said, there's so much more I wanna teach you, but I can't teach you right now because you're not ready for it and I don't have enough time. But on the other side of my resurrection, once the spirit of God comes, uh, then he'll teach you everything else. And so Jesus was very particular and very strategic and very intentional about when he chose to teach the disciples what he chose to teach them. And John 15 is absolute paramount that we understand the timing at which Jesus chose this message, this discussion, this truth. Uh, John 14, 15, and 16 are, are all taught to the disciples 
starting right after the Last Supper, right after Judas. If you don't know the story, Jesus, they share the Passover meal together. Jesus explains that, that he is gonna be ultimately the ultimate Passover, the sacrifice, the Lamb of God. He kind of hijacks Passover. He creates what we now call uh, the Lord's Supper or communion, where we remember the body of Christ that was shed for us and the blood uh, that was poured out for us, where we remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, he does that, and then he gives Judas permission to leave and go betray him. And then from that point to the time he's arrested in the garden, just a few hours later, it's in that key moment that Jesus begins to deliver some of the deepest but most simple spiritual truths to his disciples. And this truth, John 15, is smashed in between John 14 and John 16, which are both about the work of the Holy Spirit. So to really get the, the, the heart of John 15, you gotta know the context. Jesus was trying to teach to the disciples and all future believers, that's you and me, that upon his death, his burial, and his resurrection, after he takes on the sins of the world on the cross and he dies and he is buried, he leaves the sins and the guilt and the condemnation in the grave along with death itself, then he beats death in his resurrection. And Jesus knows that after his resurrection and the sins of the world have been paid for, that the relationship of people of faith would forever be different with God. And he tells them in John 14, he begins to tell them and reiterate to them something he's already taught them, that the Holy Spirit would no longer be active in uh, and around their lives and be active on them and be active through them, but that the Holy Spirit would actually make his home with them. And then he reiterates this in John 16. And what he's trying to get them to understand is how to thrive in a world when they no longer see Jesus with their visible eyes. He's trying to get them to understand that God is going to give them something that's difficult for us to comprehend, that God himself, the full presence of God, the full spirit of God himself would be given to us. It would live within us that, that, that there would be uh, no more disconnect between us and God, but that God's spirit would be in us. And he says that to the point that we become the temple of the Holy Spirit, that in every way, shape, and form, and in every practical, physical, and spiritual spiritual way, the Spirit of God is literally inside of us. The Spirit of Christ is literally inside of us. And he reiterates this in John 14 and John 16, but right in the middle of John 15, he gives this poetic visual for how our connection or how our relationship with Jesus is supposed to feel like and look like. But he, he introduces this concept through this imagery of a vine, a grapevine, and branches connected to the primary vine. And if, you, and if you just listened to what we just read in John 15, the heart of what Jesus is trying to teach you how to do, and this is so important that you understand Jesus' heart in this, he's trying to teach you, one, to make sure that you know that there's not only an expectation that fruit would be produced in your life, but that he appointed you that fruit would be produced in your life. That the things of heaven would show up in your life to the point it would benefit the world around you. That when Jesus starts talking about fruit, he doesn't just mention it once or twice, fruit becomes the subject of the entire chapter. It's mentioned eight times in just a few verses. 
It starts off and it says there's some that will bear no fruit and then there's some that will bear some fruit and those who bear some fruit, God will prune them and work on them so that they'll bear even more fruit and that if we learn to abide, uh, that, that we will automatically begin to bear fruit and that we're actually appointed to bear fruit at the very end, we're appointed to bear fruit, but not just any fruit, fruit that remains, fruit that abides, fruit that is eternal. So the whole thing is about us producing or bearing fruit in this life. It is paramount that we fully comprehend when Jesus says fruit, what he's talking about. Fruit that he is talking about is ultimately the divine nature of Christ and the attribute of Christ and the things of heaven. The way that the Bible teaches us it teaches us, it gives us this picture of our reality, of our world, that in the physical world that we can see, that this world is dominated. In fact, just a few verses prior to this, Jesus makes it known that he understands who the ruler, the current ruler of the world is, that it's Satan. That he has a power and authority over the age and over the culture. And he knows that within our flesh and within the world is sin unrighteousness, foolishness, discontentment. That, that he paints the picture that the world in itself is wicked and it's evil. And this is the world from which we are saved from. So that when we become saved, when we put our faith in Christ, can we just, this is a great time to all be in agreement. When we put our faith in Christ, we're not automatically chilling in heaven, are we? We're still in this broken, dark world. But Jesus says this is for a purpose, so that you become the light in the broken, dark world, and that there would be a, a visible fruit that would grow in your life to the point that the darkness would look into what's going on in your life and want some. But the imagery that Jesus gives us is that we are, though the world is no longer our home, we are still present in this world, and in this world is darkness, wickedness, evil, sin, corruption, foolishness, all of the negative things of life. He said, but over here is the things of heaven. Over here is the character of Christ. Over here is the righteousness of Jesus, the right way of thinking, the right way of living. It's goodness, it's kindness, it's wisdom, it's power, it's the will of God. More importantly, the clarity of the will of God. It's the purpose of Christ. It's the calling that we all have in our lives. Over here are all of the things of God, specifically the character of Christ, the righteousness, the holiness, the power, and the wisdom. All of this is the things of God. Now that is in God, with God, in heaven. He says, but you are on earth in all this darkness. And what he's trying to get you to understand is all of the things of heaven, that Christ himself, his righteousness, his character, his power, his wisdom, his will, his, his clarity, his purpose, his calling, all of those things are actually already inside of you while you are living in this world. And what John 15 is teaching you how to do is teaching you how to get what is already inside of you to begin to produce fruit outside of you so that as you transform more and more into the image of Christ, the light in your life begins to grow. You have visible fruit that grows and the world looks in and desires it and you can become someone who actually impacts and affects change in a lost and dying world. He's talking about fruit. 
There's three things about fruit before we move on to the second most important part of this scripture that you've gotta understand. There's three characteristics of fruit. First, fruit is always visible. It's always visible, period. When you walk up to an apple tree and there's apples on it, how do you know that? Because you see it with your eyes, okay? Fruit's always there. If you ever meet a Christian that has to, to talk in, 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 in weird words to conjure up why they have fruit in their lives, there is no fruit. Fruit is evident. Fruit is obvious. Fruit is there. If it's present, you see it, you desire it, you want it, you can reach out and touch it. You can point to it and you can say, there it is. The second thing you have to understand about fruit is that everybody will bear fruit. I don't want us to think that what Jesus is saying is that there's some who don't bear fruit and there's some who do bear fruit. What he's teaching in John 15 is that there's some who bear the fruit of Christ and some who don't bear the fruit of Christ, but they're still bearing fruit. In another teaching, he points out the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the hypocritical religious leaders. And he said a statement, you can always tell who they really are by the fruit that they bear in this life. What that means is, is that every person you will ever meet will produce fruit. But Christ says some fruit, wicked, evil, and foolish. It's bad, it's rotten. But the fruit that you produce by the power of the Spirit in your life is righteousness, holiness, power, wisdom that radically, utterly changes, impacts you, changes you into a totally different person and allows you to be used to advance the kingdom of heaven on the earth. The third thing about fruit that you have to know is that fruit is specifically always for anybody else other than the tree that it grew on. Fruit is for other people. That's what it is. In fact, the only fruit that eats itself is rotten fruit. What that means is, is that what, what, what I think Jesus is trying to arrive at is that, that if your relationship with God is all about what you can get from God and you're serving God in a way that it's about him giving things to you and getting things to you and getting you jobs and getting you houses and getting you cars and getting you wealth and getting you health and getting you all these things, you have left Christianity, you've moved into a false religion You've created your own little genie God and just gave him the name of Jesus, but that is not Jesus. Because when Jesus works in you, what Jesus does in you is for the benefit and the glorification of the Father and the good of the people around you. What Jesus does in your life, Jesus described it like this uh, when he, right after the conversation with the woman at the well when the disciples came back and they said, I thought you were hungry. And he said, I've got foods you don't even know about. The way that Christ moves in your life, it is the most satisfying, fulfilling thing when you're doing the will of the Father and it is advancing the kingdom, giving him glory and for the benefit of other people. The more like Christ you become, the more selfless you become, and the more focused on the glory of the Father and the good of the people around you. Baby Christianity is focused on themselves constantly all the time. This is why Paul said, I will be poured out like a drink offering for the glory of God and for the good of the people. So what, what, what Jesus is, is, as he's using this beautiful imagery, 
He's driving so many different aspects of our life. He's, he's letting you see into the deep, invisible, spiritual universe that exists within us and all around us. And he ultimately says this, he goes, I want you to bear fruit in this life. I want my righteousness to show up in your life. I want my wisdom. I want you to be men and women of wisdom, but not the wisdom of the earth, the wisdom of heaven. I want you to have the power of heaven active in your life. I want you to be holy and set apart. I want you to discover the will of God for your life and fulfill it. I want the purpose of Christ to work in you and through you. Christ says, I have chosen you and appointed you to bear fruit. That is what, what you are. That's why you're still on the earth. If he was done using you, you would be in heaven with him. How do you know God still wants to use you? You're still breathing. That's all you need to know. He doesn't care where you're coming from or what's going on. If you're in a season of weakness and struggle, as soon as you're ready to come home, as soon as you're ready to get your heart and mind back on Christ, Christ is ready to fulfill what he started in you. Always. So he says, I want you to bear fruit. He says, but now I need you to understand there's only one way that you can bear fruit in this life. And that is to learn to abide with me. Abide with me. Now, fruit is mentioned eight times in just a few verses. Abide is mentioned 11 times in just a few verses. Fruit is the point of what Jesus says you need to see in your life that he wants in your life. The abiding is the how that happens. And though this seems deeply spiritual, it is, it's also incredibly simple. Jesus is trying to get them to understand this basic principle that wherever you abide, that word abide literally means to dwell, to remain. Wherever you continually and consistently spend your time and give your energy, give your attention and your focus, wherever you continually and consistently dwell, it will be that thing that produces fruit in your life. Wherever you dwell and whoever you dwell with is gonna be what begins to produce whatever fruit it is that grows in and around your life. Let me just, let me make it as simple as I possibly can. Dwelling is not visiting. So I've got some people that I love to visit but I don't wanna dwell with. You got those people in mind? Don't look around, especially if they're sitting next to you. There's people that I love to be acquaintances with. There's people that I love to shake their hand, make sure they're good, make sure they're okay, but that I cannot dwell with them. I cannot continually, somebody's laughing way too hard over here in this section. I cannot continually and consistently spend my time with them. Dwelling is not visiting. Dwelling is continually, consistently giving a lot of time. If you're dwelling with someone, you're sitting with them, you're talking with them, you're spending time with them, you're getting to know the depths of their heart and their mind, they're getting to know the depths of your heart and your mind, there's a genuine friendship and a relationship. When you're dwelling with somebody, you cannot help to get to know each other, and over time, you will rub off on each other. This is why your circle is so important in life. 
Dwelling, dwelling is an important, you, this is deeply spiritual here and Jesus is using this, but to make sure that we understand this concept, dwelling is a, is a big piece of wisdom that you can all take from this. Let me just give you an example. If you were to leave work every single day and you were to go to dwell in let's say Pizza Hut, right? Nobody goes to Pizza Hut anymore. <laughs> I said that in the first service and one guy raised his hand as if he was just embarrassed. He was like, I do, I go to Pizza Hut. <laughs> But if you were to go every day after work and you were to dwell in Pizza Hut for an hour to an hour and a half, in a couple weeks, you would start to see the fruit of that in and around here. Versus if you were to take that same time period and you were to go dwell, say, in the gym, in a couple weeks, you would bear fruit, but it would be a totally different type of fruit. The thing that I think that we have to really be honest with ourselves about and come to terms with is you dwell with someone, with somebody, with something every single day. You give your time, your energy, your attention, and your focus to something every single day. And what you need to understand is what you give your time, energy, and focus to, what you dwell with the most, what you dwell with first and most in this life is going to deeply impact who you are. It's gonna deeply impact who you are. Uh, he, in, in a little while, and we'll get there, he, he starts talking about his word, dwelling with him, dwelling with his word, and him dwelling with us, and his word dwelling in us. Okay, knowledge deeply impacts us, and we spend all day long taking in knowledge through the news, taking in knowledge through conversation, taking in knowledge through our news notifications on our iPhones, taking in knowledge through social media platforms, just constantly taking in knowledge. And whatever knowledge is coming into your life, it's going to deeply impact you. Knowledge carries with it significant power. Let me give you an example of this. I'm 36 years old. Uh, I still brush my teeth and floss and use mouthwash in the exact same way this terrifying demonic dentist who came to my first grade class and taught me how to do it. And do you know why? Because this dude looked like a serial killer off a scary movie, number one, okay? Miss Thompson, invite, he, she would invite police officers and, and firemen and, and different people to teach us about different things. And, and she hired this horrible, evil dentist to come in. The first thing he did was he took out these pictures of what I could only describe to you as the worst decaying, rotting teeth I have ever seen in my life. And one of the first things that he said was, if you don't brush your teeth, this is what your mouth will look like. And then he just glared at everybody. I was in first grade. I was terrified. I was like, I do not want my teeth to be, have holes in them and have green and black stuff falling out. And I don't want that. Oh, it was horrible. I, could ne I couldn't over-exaggerate how horrible it was. And he, I listened to everything he said. I still brush my teeth the exact same way. I start here and then I get all the gums and then I, I, I brush into the gums. Uh, down and up, I brushed back the back and around, and then he said that the uh, bad breath comes from the back of your tongue. And so to this day, I brush my teeth. I don't know where the back of my tongue is, so I just go until I can't go anymore. And, I'm, I, I, and this is where Courtney just sits in total disgust and judgment as I am choking to death over here, but I'm like, my breath ain't gonna smell bad. I've never had a cavity. I've never, I have good teeth health. This is the power of knowledge. When something, when knowledge, when you take knowledge in, knowledge is always, even general knowledge, basic knowledge, it's always going to produce thoughts, 
trigger emotions, and guide you in certain directions. And so Jesus is wanting to make sure that you understand that wherever you dwell is gonna have an impact on you. And wherever you dwell and whoever you dwell with and whatever knowledge you dwell in, eventually that person and their attributes and that word or that knowledge, that's gonna begin to dwell in you. And whatever's dwelling in you is gonna be what produces thoughts, triggers emotions, and guides you in the directions that you go in life. This is why it's so important that you fully and comprehend and understand who you're dwelling with, what you're dwelling with, and what you're allowing in your heart. Because whatever gets inside, whatever dwells in you is what's gonna produce the fruit of your life. And Jesus is begging you, let it be him. Let it be him. So I wanna, I wanna read this. And I, 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 wanna read, I, wanna, I wanna read one through three because I wanna make sure I clarify something here. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that he may bear more fruit. Verse three, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. I need to make sure that you understand verse three means that they are already Christians. They're already saved. They've already put their faith in Jesus. And what he's a teaching them is how to, as a believer, once the resurrection takes place and the spirit of God is not just with them, but is in them, the spirit of Christ is in them. He's teaching them from verse four on how to thrive in this life with the spirit of Christ being within us, with us not being able to visibly see Jesus anymore but knowing in our heart of hearts and in the depths of our mind that he is more real as our invisible great king right here and right now that he's truly living and active and that though we might not see him with our eyes, we can interact with him, engage with him and truly genuinely feel his presence in our lives, that we can dwell with him. And so the primary verse today, I wanna to make sure it says in verse four, it says he's telling Christians, he's telling believers, he's telling Peter and John and the disciples, he says everything's about to change. And when we get on the other side of this and I'm gone and my spirit is within you. Remember John 14, he's introducing that. He comes back to it in John 16. John 15 is about interacting with that reality. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is saying, you have got to learn, and I need you to hear me. This is what the church needs right here and right now. I'm telling you, I could not over-exaggerate. This is what every believer all over this world needs to hear. You do not need any more information about what's going on in the world. You already know it's dark. You don't need a new president. We need a new president, but we don't need one. Okay, I just couldn't let that one go, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We do, we need one. Anyone, anyone else. I don't wanna get political, but I think we're all on the same page. Even his own party, I think we get it. But there's nothing else in this world that we truly need except to learn how to abide in the presence of our invisible Jesus and to interact and engage with the spirit that is inside of us. We have to learn how to abide. 
And, and what I wanna make sure that we, we don't miss here is the reality of what Jesus is truly saying. The source of the fruit, the source of the righteousness, the goodness, the kindness, the joy, the peace, the source of the hope, the source of the wisdom, the source of God's will, the source of the purpose, the source of the clarity, the source of the power is not outside of you. It's inside of you. It's inside of you. It's already there. What he's trying to teach us is this spiritual truth that if we learn how to abide, how to dwell, how to continually, consistently remain in his presence, that all of that righteousness and that wisdom and that power and that purpose and all that is Christ and his character and his nature, all that is Jesus being already inside of us, that if we learn how to dwell with him, that that begins to seep into our life and makes it way out into a visible fruit that changes the world. And so I, this week, uh, I've been battling for, for weeks. I had, I had COVID. Uh, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have said that because they still track it on social media and they may cancel this. Don't do it, Zuckerberg. Uh, I had uh, eight weeks ago, eight or nine weeks ago, and, and I've been struggling. My, my, my lung capacity is going down and I may or may not have pneumonia. I'm not sure yet. Courtney's convinced I'm dying. We'll see what happens. But last week, it was, it was really bad. And, and in the first service last week, I began to cough so bad in the middle of it, we had to like stop. They had to bring me hot tea and, and, and sip it and then, and then go on about our way. And I've been nursing that all year. I mean, all week. And, and what is so, it made me feel so loved. So when I almost died last week, everybody, everybody started sending me all of their remedies for how to fight uh, whatever demon is choking me out uh, every day. I'm just kidding, that was a, that was a demon joke, not a good one. Uh, the normal human cold. And they sent me, people gave me, like I didn't even know they made 74 different types of cough drops, but people gave me all these different cough drops and each one they had a reason why theirs was the best and I took them all. People gave me, people gave me honey. People gave me different types of tea. Genuinely, it made me feel so loved. People sent uh, essential oils uh, that I did uh, to the point that it about burned my nose off. I don't think I did it right. And, and then they gave me these little, these little tablets uh, that I don't know if they're magical. I don't know what they do, but they're just itty bitty. You put them in your mouth and then at some point they break open. You can't breathe for a minute, but then you feel better. So I don't really know what's working. And then some of it just seemed like witchcraft. It was just, it was just weird. It was like you take a leaf of a agave plant and goat's blood and just something. And I, I didn't do that one, uh, but I just, everything came to me. And so I've been fighting that this week and, and with all of the tea, I'm not normally a tea drinker. That's just not, you know, I'm not like you wanna sip on some hot tea and hang out. That's just not me but I've drank more tea this week than I ever have in my life. And as I was studying this and I was drinking the tea, the Lord just opened something up to me and I just think it fits perfect. It's not a perfect analogy, but I think that, that it, can, it can speak to you uh, and teach you this spiritual reality that Jesus is trying to teach us. So the, the, way, that, the way that tea works is you, is you, take, is you take the tea bag. And, I, and I, I'm, not, I just, I'm learning all this. This is all fresh for me. You, you take the tea bag and you... you uh, this is actual tea here. I'm gonna take a sip. It's horribly nasty, but it's good for you, I guess. And and what what you do with tea is, is the teas in in the packet. Everything that you would need to make teas here, and then you you take it and you you put it in a cup, and 
you pour hot water over it. And as the hot water and the, the tea dwell together, and it seeps through there, the contents of the tea begin to seep out into the water. And over time, the longer that it dwells, eventually the, the tea bag and the contents within the tea bag seep out so much that eventually it ceases to be water and it becomes tea. And, and what, I, what, what the imagery here is, is, is that Jesus says, I want you to understand something, that when you get saved and you put your faith in Christ, when it says that the spirit of Christ comes into our hearts and lives with us, it means that the spirit of Christ himself comes into our hearts and lives with us, along with the righteousness and the ability to be righteous, along with the wisdom, along with the goodness, the kindness, the joy, the peace, along with all those things, the faithfulness, along with the power, along with the calling, along, all that stuff, all that stuff is there and it's put inside of us. It's all there. And what dwelling is, is when we walk into a room with the sole intention and desire of spending time with Jesus, and we open up the word of God, not to just get through a devotional or to do our religious duty, but we open up the word of God with a deep desire and a hunger to know Jesus and to dwell with Jesus and spend time with Jesus. It's like pouring hot water into the, our hearts where the tea bag already is or where Christ already is. And, and the more that we spend time with him, the more that we hang out with him, the more that his righteousness, the more that his wisdom, the more that his power, the goodness, the kindness, the joy, and all of those things begin to seep out into our life. And eventually over time, the more that we dwell and the longer that we dwell and the longer that we abide and the the more that his, his word abides in us, we're slowly transformed to the point there's no more water left. We're just all Jesus. Like that's the heart of what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. That that's the heart of the gospel is that everything you would ever need, and this is so important that you understand this, as simple as this is, it, but it, it, you need to understand this in this world, in this culture, right here, right now, I think you're realizing and you're learning. If you haven't already learned it, there's nothing in this world that you can depend on and that there's nothing that's going to change things for the better. That there's no person, there's no man, there's no woman, there's no government system, there's, no, there's, there's nothing, there's, there's nobody and nothing that's gonna come and fix the evil and the wickedness in this world. And this is a great thing that Jesus is making sure that you know that everything that you would ever need from heaven and from him is already inside of you so that it doesn't matter what's going on outside your life or in the world that if you can learn to dwell in the presence of God, that what's inside of you will begin to expand and transform and conform you. Eventually, the attributes and the character of Christ and the divine attributes and the wisdom and the power just begins to swallow you up until you are no more, you are gone, and it's just the truly, genuinely the mirror image of Jesus Christ standing in the mirror before you. Jesus says, I, I want you to understand that if you want to become like me, then you gotta spend time with me. Being saved is a gift. It is free and it cannot be earned. But what God gave us was more than just the forgiveness of sins. 
He gave us all out access to his presence, to his power, to his truth, and to his word. And we have to learn how to dwell with him. I think sometimes, getting back to the, to the, the tea analogy, I, I, I think sometimes most Christians, instead of dwelling with Jesus, they visit with Jesus. They're dippers. They, I see people do this all the time. And I think, honestly, no offense, it's the dumbest thing ever. Why are you doing this? Why are you taking the transformation time? I'm not talking about your spiritual life. I'm talking about tea. <laughs> like, why you're like, yeah, I could just do this in five minutes, but I would rather make it take 20 minutes so I can seem fancy to everyone that I talk to, right? Why else would you do this? Why else would you make it take 20 minutes instead of five minutes? Why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense to me. In the same way, sorry, I got over, overly offended by that. In the same way, when we just come in and, and the only time we really spend with Jesus is on Sunday morning, we just kind of visit Jesus. Or maybe we pray right, right before we eat food, we just kind of visit him for a moment. Or maybe we just kind of get through our religious duties and read a devotional just to touch base with him and move on. Jesus did not die to date you. He died to marry you. I need you to hear that. You cannot... You cannot, and I know people might get, get mad at this, this analogy, but I need you to hear me. Jesus was the one that created it. Jesus says, you're my bride. He views it as an eternal, deeply locked, connected relationship. He does not want to date you. He does not want to hook up with you every now and then. He does not want to be an acquaintance that you meet in the coffee shop. He does not want, he wants to dwell with you day in and day out. He wants to be what is first and most in your life. He wants to be a part of your morning. He wants to be a part of your afternoon. He wants to be a part of your evening. He is within you. And the most powerful thing that you can learn to do is learn to dwell with him and spend time with him. I think sometimes we misunderstand, and it's not, it's not y'all's fault. Honestly, it's our fault. It's the preacher's fault. It's the church leadership's fault in this kind of this modern era. I think we've lifted up the idea of preachers and pastors to a very unhealthy level to make you think that if you want to be holy, you got to get around some good preacher, some good pastor, so you can get the word of God and grow. No, we are never supposed to be the source. We're supposed to proclaim the word of God so that it will drive you to the actual source, which is Jesus Christ himself. The greatest message I will ever preach that you'll ever hear me preach will be nothing compared to the moment the Holy Spirit himself teaches you something out of this book. I need you to understand if there's ever anything that you hear me say to you is that if I am the most Jesus you get through the week, you are on your way to an extremely unhealthy, unfruitful life. You need Jesus. My job is to drive you to Jesus. My job is to tell you to get to the feet of Jesus and to get this word in the depths of your heart. I want you to understand the power of what he's offering you. And I mean this. And sometimes we don't like this. There's some Christian theology that doesn't like the things that I'm about to say. So I'm just gonna say it anyway. There is no difference in Christians. There is no a hierarchy of Christians. I'm no better than you because I'm a pastor. We are all equal at the foot of Jesus Christ. That said... There is a difference between the Apostle Paul and you. Amen. Can we just, a little bit of humility? Yeah, there is. He's not any better than you. He's a lot closer to Jesus is than you are. 
but because he understood this. What, I, what I'm, I'm trying to get us to understand is that Jesus is offering you something greater than just salvation. And we have put such an emphasis on salvation that we forget why Jesus saved us. He didn't save us just so we wouldn't go to hell. He saved us so that we could be in an intimate, growing relationship with the God who created us. When you think it's all about salvation, you think salvation is the end. It's not. It's supposed to be just the beginning. And so he's offering you more than the basic package. I just want to give a little piece of my personality. Everybody in here has got something. Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, YouTube Music, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Netflix. Raise your hand if you got some of this. Okay, you're not all Amish. Raise your hands. Everybody in this room's got something. <laughs> what are we doing? No, just whittle sticks. No. You got, and in every single one of those things I mentioned, whatever your thing is, there's always a basic plan. That's for losers, okay? <laughs> when I see a basic plan and then I see the pro, I couldn't sleep at night knowing I didn't have access to whatever it was that the pro gave you. Most of it's commercials. I hate commercials. Courtney won't pay the $12.99 a month to get commercials off of hers. So we're, we're going to counseling over this. She's like, I just want the basic plan. I'm like, I want whatever plan I have, you know it's the, you know it's the best, it's the pro. She goes through about every six months, just gets into my phone, gets into all of our stuff and deletes everything. Doesn't set it back, kills it all so I have to start over again. Because if I have a chance to subscribe to something, I'm gonna go all in. What Jesus is saying is, is if, if you're tired of basic Christianity, this is the one and only thing that you need to learn. And that is to dwell with Christ. That is to learn to, to be intentional about the time that you spend with him. To really understand that he's not in some distance, time and space, but that he is living that he is active. In fact, the first chapter of Revelation, the last thing Jesus wanted you to see, the, the imagery that Jesus wanted his church to see was him standing among his churches and holding the leaders in his hand. And then going through and managing and building his church in the letters to in Revelation. So that I want you to get this, that, that Jesus, he's living, he's active. He's present in this room. That when you, this is a deep spiritual truth, it's simple, but it's a deep spiritual truth, that when you walk into a room and you close the door behind you, like Jesus instructed when he was teaching about prayer, and you turn your heart and your mind and your focus over to God, he shows up in a unique, powerful, present way. That it's not philosophy, it's not in meditation, it's not in thought, it is in reality. When I walk into my room, my office, and I close the door and I turn up my music and I turn the lights off and I get into that place, the presence of God is in that room. And as you learn to spend time in the presence of God and you learn to spend time in the word of God, it, it ultimately transitions you and aligns you and changes you. And now it, it, he gets down and he wants you to see this. He says this two different times, two different ways. And I really want you to understand, I wanna close with this. I can't get to all of it today, but I wanna close at least with this. In verse seven, he changes his wording just a little bit. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you dwell in me, if you dwell with me and my words are dwelling in the depths of your heart, 
ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. In the Greek, it just says, it will come to pass to you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Something changes when you learn to dwell with Christ and you, you, you're not just visiting, you're dwelling. And, and all that is Christ and his righteousness and his wisdom and his power begins to seep into the depths of your life and change and transform you. And it begins to produce visible fruit that you can see and other people can see and, and desire it. And when you're in that position, and your life, because you're spending time with Christ and because the word is changing you, because the word is producing thoughts and the word is triggering emotions and the word is guiding you in directions and it's, it's the word that's dwelling in you and not the knowledge of the, of the culture, but it's the word of Christ, the truth of Christ. It says it so aligns your life that you can begin to ask God for anything and he will give it to you. In the context of this scripture, and the context of the scripture is the fruit or the nature of Christ. So that when I go into a room, and I, again, I just wanna make, when I go into a room and I begin to pray, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, if I'm praying for wisdom, it will, I will receive it. If I'm praying for power on Sundays, it will come without a doubt. When I'm praying for humility, God will humble me. When I'm praying for patience, he'll give it to me. When I'm, when I'm praying for these things, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt because I've learned to dwell with him and abide in him. And I believe this scripture that when, the more that I get to know Christ, the more that I spend time with him, the more access I have to the Father and the more that I begin to pray the prayers that he desires to answer in our lives. What this is saying and the reason he's given us this is because we will face so many different situations and difficulties in our life, in any life, but especially in this season of history and in the season that we're heading into, you are going to need the things of heaven active in your life. You're gonna need it. You're gonna need peace in this world of chaos. You're gonna need joy when the world is falling apart. You're gonna need wisdom when foolishness surrounds you. You are gonna need power true, genuine power to change the world around you. And Jesus is saying, it is all there. And if you will dwell with me and learn to abide with me and let my word dwell and abide with you, when it comes to those moments in time and you need wisdom and you need power and you need my righteousness and you need humility and you need meekness and you need these things, you will ask for them and you will receive them. They will come to pass in your life because you are connected to the source of heaven, the source of life, the spirit of Jesus Christ himself. I need you to hear that this morning. So I wanna, I, I wanna close with this. This is one of those things, and I just struggle. I'm just gonna be vulnerable this minute. What I don't want you to hear is, oh, this is a classic pastor message where he's saying, spend more time with Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, you will not make it through this life if you do not learn how to spend time with the God who created you. You don't have within your flesh and within your intelligence and within your world cultural skills to survive, let alone thrive in the season we're heading into. What you'll need only comes from heaven. What you'll need does not exist in this world. What you need is wrapped up in the spirit of Jesus who is within you. And if you don't learn how to dwell and you don't learn how to access that, you will not have it when you need it. So I am telling you, if you think this is just a message about be more Christian, you are missing the entire thing. 
This message was so important to Jesus that he saved it as the last thing he taught his disciples before he died for their sins. Jesus understood that if there's one thing while you are living on this earth, if there's one thing that you need to know, that you need to remember, and that you need to learn how to do, is dwell in the presence of Jesus. Dwell in the presence of God. Dwell in his word and let his word dwell in you. If you do that, fruit will automatically begin to appear in your life. Wisdom will automatically begin to appear in your life. Power will automatically begin to appear in your life. And when you pray, because you'll be so aligned with him, when you pray, everything you pray for, he will give to you. There's deep, deep, deep power in this, yet it is so simple. So my challenge to you is learn how to dwell with the spirit of Jesus Christ. And if you do that, it will radically, utterly change you. And you will begin to produce fruit in this life. And you will not just make it through this season, you will thrive through this season. Amen.